it's so appropriate. Uh, we're thinking today about uh, learning how to pray, and it's so so helpful, isn't it, to be led in prayer like that? Um, so I want us to do it one more time. Uh, I, I, I kind of made a promise to myself um, that, that all these Sundays of Advent, we would um, pray for each other, certainly as, as God's Word is open, but, but um, that every Sunday during Advent, we'd remember to pray for Giorgio, your pastor, and his family. So would you just take a minute to do that? Um, just that um, the Lord would be teaching him uh, to pray in new ways and, and to, to connect with Jesus and connect with his wife and his children. So let's pray. Amen. So, the passages upon which the teaching uh, is based this morning are the, are the same ones all month, uh, found in Philippians 4, this famous paragraph, and then a couple of verses from 1 Thessalonians 5. So this is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. The, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then if you flip a few pages to 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 to 18 tells us, be kind to each other and to everyone else, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So we're trying to pay attention um, this Advent season. I'm a slow learner. I, I have to stay in one place uh, for a long time to let truth seep into my hard head um, we're, we're trying to pay attention to these four activities, these four ongoing characteristics of those uh, abiding in Jesus, attached to Jesus, um, like Chris was talking about, like, like a branch and a vine. These four disciplines that we find in these, in these passages. Rejoice, be kind and gentle, pray, give thanks. Rejoice, be kind and gentle, pray and give thanks. So today, like I said, we're... we're we want to think about this command to pray. The, the Thessalonians passage tells us that that should be this continuous, continual, constant, without ceasing part of our lives. In, the, in Philippians 4.6, actually, uh, literally, the, the imperative, the command, is not pray with an exclamation point. The, the, there's two, actually, commands, imperatives. Do not be anxious is the first one. And then the second one, it, later in the verse, is make known. Let your request, present your request. Let, let your request be made known to God. 
the old 1911 American Standard Version is, is a very literal translation from New Testament Greek. Um, Philippians 4.6 in that old ASV is pretty great. It says, in nothing be anxious, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. So, I like that. The, the, the Word of God uh, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, again, I, I want to challenge you, invite you in 2023 to have a double-edged plan, uh, to have an extensive reading plan of this living, active Word of God, books at a time, um, testaments at a time, and, and then also the, the, the other side of that blade, um, practice parking in one spot uh, and staying in one passage and soaking there until um, things that you hadn't noticed before uh, come to life as, as the Word of God does its life-piercing uh, life-giving work. Um, so when you stay in one place for a month or so like we're doing, uh, I, I love to look at that passage in different translations like this old American standard. So it just, it just helps me fashion it and think about it in a, in a different way. In the Lord, rejoice. In relationships, be gentle. In nothing, be anxious. In everything, pray. Let your request be made known to God. Or you can think about it this way. Make it known. Make your joy known in the Lord. Let your gentleness be made known to all. Let your requests in, in, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving be made known. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I do know a lot about you. I've been a pastor a long time. Um, this double call to not be anxious and to pray without ceasing uh, constantly in every situation this call to not be anxious and pray without ceasing it often leads doesn't it to more anxiety and less praying <laughs> I mean I don't know what's going on in your, in your mind and your heart even now but we, we have this addiction. And like, like Paul in, in Romans 7, it's like, woe is me. Who, who can set me free from this addiction to, to keep things in, in anxiety, instead of making them known uh, to God in prayer? So we need a deliverer. Well, praise the Lord. Christmas is an intervention Christmas teaches us that we can change, that, that, that there's change is possible, that there's power that has invaded space and time for us to be different. So the visual that we've been using is my clever wheel. Um, at the center of our paragraph, at the center of Advent, at the center of the gospel, is this powerful truth that the Lord is near. And that's what 
That's the power, friends, for lives of rejoicing. That's the power for change in relationship. That's the power uh, that enables us to trade in our anxieties for conversation with the living God. That's what empowers us to live thankful lives instead of cynical, um, grumbling lives. So how, how does this Advent truth that the Lord is at hand, that the Lord is near, how, how does that function as the antidote for anxiety and the energy for intercession? How does that work? Well, in this old grammar school, um, will you think with me for a little while about gospel grammar? Um, and then later, later we'll have a gospel science uh, class and then maybe even gospel speech uh, class. So I mentioned something briefly in our first time together that Thanksgiving weekend, the first Sunday of Advent, um, to which I, I'd like to return. In Christianity, the indicative always precedes the imperative. Uh, I said that, and, and like Chris was saying, those are big words that nobody knows what they mean or can't remember. My mom was an English professor, and so I love English, and um, she, I would say, John, Mom, uh, John, Mom, John and me are going out in the backyard, and she'd say, John and I, no, you're not. Uh, so first, <laughs> first she'd sort our grammar, and then she'd, she'd give us the thumbs up or thumbs down. So I come by this nerdiness um, honestly, um, as did John and his love for literature and Russian literature. So the indicative mood, if, if you don't remember this grammar, uh, is that something happened. The indicative mood is used to tell us that something happened. It indicates that this denoted act or condition is an objective fact. And we know an imperative a little better. That's, that's the exclamation point. That's the command, the, the duty, the obligation. Well, friends, what's so distinctive about Christmas, about Advent, about Christianity itself, is that in this gospel of grace, God is always the initiator. God always does something first, and our doing is in response to his. Now, every other religious system is the opposite. If you rub the lamp just right, something will happen. If you do something, then maybe God will draw near. But, but no, friends, what we're celebrating... Um, I mean, think, think, think with me about the Christmas story itself. There are shepherds um, living in some fields near Bethlehem, we're told, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord splits open the skies and appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they're terrified. Every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the first thing they have to say is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those to, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened 
which the Lord has told us about. Friends, Christmas is the, is the good news that something has happened. You didn't make it happen. God initiates contact. Something has happened and He tells us about it. And, and this is true in all of God's Word and in, in all of the New Testament that indicative of what God has done for us and in us precedes the imperative of what we are called to do for Him. I mean, one of the clearest uh, visuals I can give you, one of the clearest examples uh, of this, and maybe you already know this as, you, as, you, as you've studied the, the Bible. Think about the book of Ephesians. Think about the structure of, of the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. For three chapters, I mean, this glorious first chapter, this glorious second chapter, this glorious third chapter, we're, ter- we're, we're told that something has happened, that, that the triune God has been at work, and then you get to the, the second three chapters, and, and, and one of my teachers, uh, favorite teachers, John Stott, says when you get to 4.1, the apostle turns from exposition to exhortation, from what God has done in the indicative to what we must be and do in the imperative, from doctrine to duty, from the credenda to the agenda, from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete applications in everyday living. Another of my favorite teachers, Dr. Edmund Clowney, uh, former president of Westminster Seminary, mentor, friend, colleague of Tim Keller, commenting on 1 Peter 1.13, which again follows one of the most glorious summaries uh, of God's activity in, in 1 Peter 1. Dr. Clowney simply says this, the imperatives of Christian living always begin with Therefore, I mean, you see it. You see it in Romans. There, there, Paul spends nine chapters of ten chapters, eleven chapters, spelling out what God has done, and then you get to the therefore in in chapter twelve. Therefore, with eyes wide open to all of these mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed anymore to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by this amazing, by these indicatives of what God has done. So, why am I going on and on about this? Friends, we've got to get the order and the logic of the gospel right. Not just once, but again and again and again. Because the default of our heart, we wake up every morning with this Pharisee's heart thinking that it's all up to me. What do I have to do for the Lord to draw near? What we're celebrating this month, the Christmas message, the Christian message, is that something has happened and we've been told about it. And, and our, our job is, let's go to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Their obedience, their response, their changed lives, their spreading the message were not the cause of the good news, but the result. Amen? So we just need to know this again and hear it again and preach it to one another and to ourselves again and again and again. The Advent truth that we're 
trying to remember, trying to soak in this month is not if you could just fill yourself with joy, if you could just fill yourself with rejoicing, if you could just learn how to treat others with kindness and gentleness, if you could just empty yourself of all this this debilitating worry and anxiety and fill yourself with thankfulness and, and prayer, then the Lord would draw near. No, dear friends, the Lord is near. He has invaded space and time in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And nothing will ever be the same. And as a result, the therefore is that we are invited in, called in, compelled in to joy and gentleness and anxiety dampening, quieting communion with Him, making known to Him all of our requests and thankfulness. Now, part of the reason I go on and on about this is that I know there are a lot of people um, that are about to pop all the time saying to the preacher and even saying to the Lord Himself, just tell me what to do. <laughs> Enough of all this. Just give me f- the five easy steps to successful Christian living. Just take me to the Christian self-help rubbish bookshelf. Um, <laughs> friends, the Lord sends those of us like that again and again and again to the indicatives of what God has done. We can't be transformed into Christ's image. We can't be the salt of the, the, the salt of the earth and the light of the world without the power being turned on, with, without being connected to the power. Now, to be fair, on the other hand, there are those people who just love theology. I just love the first chapter of Ephesians. I've memorized it. You know, fair play to you. But often, those people that are stuck in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the Lord needs to take to the, the, the imperative. I'd like to talk with you, sweetheart, about the way you treat your wife. I'd like to talk to you about the way you treat your children. So I'd like to talk to you about the way you don't have any armor on, that you, you're not praying in the Spirit on all occasions. So... Some of us need to go back to the indicative. Some of us need to be taken tenderly towards the imperatives of Christian living because we we get stuck either place. So again, just one more time. the, 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 The thing that's so categorically different, the reason it's called good news, Christianity, is, is that changed lives are not the cause but the result of the Lord's nearness. So as, as our little illustration of the wheel, our illustration this, this month, it gets at this truth. It's not the outside of the wheel that powers the hub. Christianity doesn't ultimately work uh, from the outside in, but change occurs on the inside and works its way out. Amen? We, we've said that the, the centrifugal force, when the power from the hub that the Lord is near is transformed, transferred out into the life, 
this, this centrifugal force of the gospel, it always flings us outward into all these unlikely places, into dark places where God is being robbed of his glory and we want to go there so that glory could be won for him. So we go to Africa, we go to Ireland, we go all over, we go plant churches, we go to, we go to the Wake Forest campus, we go to, to Winston-Salem State University. If the, 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 the centrifugal force of the gospel, it's always moving us outward. Now, let's, let's uh, shift gears a little bit, back to Philippians 4.6 in that old translation in nothing be anxious in everything make your request known to God now I need to insert an important caveat about about being anxious about anxiety the only thing worse than being anxious is being anxious about being anxious <laughs> right so I hope that's not going to happen today um God, we believe that God, we're, we're taught in the Bible that God, our creator, crafted our, us physical beings. He crafted us with bodies and souls. He crafted us with brains. And, and, and so I think we can, uh, as a result, assume that he understands brain chemistry and balances and imbalances in our physical bodies. So... I don't know much about capital A anxiety. I know that that, that, that exists. And, and it's often caused by this result of the fall that manifests itself in, in things being wrong in our bodies, chemical imbalances in our nervous system or in our brain, uh, and or caused by capital T trauma. Now, even for those folks, I mean, God uses his holy word and his holy people and his holy sacraments uh, through the power of his Holy Spirit to work healing in people. People that we didn't think had any hope of change. But, but he also uses holy doctors and holy counselors and holy medicine. Amen? So... So that being said, the anxiety we're talking about that our text is talking about today um, when we're told not to be and nothing be anxious. Not, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and, and, and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We're talking about small a anxiety, if you will. Anxiety that, that, that's common to every single one of us. So, so God knows that you and I have this anxiety problem. Some of our favorite verses in the Bible get, it, get at this. We've mentioned before, it was mentioned today, that the, the, the beautiful end of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, isn't that beautiful? That's a prayer about prayer. We need to pray for our praying. We need to pray for one another's praying. Father, I don't even know the ways 
I'm controlled by my anxious thoughts. Will you search me and show me that I might walk in the way? That, that I might walk in, the, in the, your everlasting way? What about 1 Peter 5, 7? I mean, some of you know this by heart. Some of it lives on refrigerators and dashboards and um, bathroom mirrors, or it should. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Friends, he cares for you. That's the indicative. Therefore, cast your anxiety on him. How about the Sermon on the Mount? Maybe your, your mind has already gone there. Jesus teaching this big, long section of the Sermon, sermon on the Mount in, in, in Matthew 6. And there he's teaching that, that he's reasoning with us about our anxiousness, call, trying to call us out of it helping us to understand it, providing with us with some antitoxins for it. So can I just read this? And I, it's a long passage, but I want to read the whole thing to, so we can try to point out some of these connections. This is Matthew 6, 9 to 14. Or, I'm sorry, 9 to 34. Do not, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus continues, no one can serve Two masters, for either he, he will hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom of the, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do, in case we haven't gotten it yet, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Three times Jesus bids us not to be anxious. Three times he makes a connection for us. Three times there's a therefore. You, you know the Bible study helpful safety tip 
that when we find therefore, we ask the question, thank you, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, the reason I read the whole thing is so that we might make some of these connections. Jesus is teaching us that where our treasure is, is where our heart is. He's teaching us that what our eye is set on determines to a great degree what's inside us. He's teaching us that who we serve or what we serve dictates what we love and hate. So some questions. Where are you investing? Where are you looking? Where are you feeling these strong emotions? Remember these, these strong emotions, love, hate, uh, anxiety, they're, they're the red light on the dashboard. They're not everything, but they're not nothing. They, we, we need to pay attention. So, so Jesus, did you notice in the Sermon on the Mount, he's asking questions. And, and that, that Psalm 139, prayer about prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. He does that, friends, because he's near. He, he says, is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, are you not more valuable than, than the birds? Which of you, by being anxious, can, can add a single hour to his, to his span of life? So, if we're going to obey this command not to be anxious, here and in Philippians 4.6, we're, we're going to have to let him ask us questions to search us and know us and, and, try, and know our anxious thoughts. So, just real quickly, Jesus states that there's a heart-treasure connection where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Friends, do you, wanna, do you want more of a heart for Christ's church? Well, give your treasure. Do you want more of a heart for, the, for, for world mission? Give your treasure. Do you, do you want to have more of a heart for, for the Irish? Give to Scott and Becca. Jesus says our hearts follow our treasure. Our treasure follows our hearts. He says, do not lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is saying that's a sure recipe for anxiety. Instead, instead he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Friends, you know that there's other treasures besides money, right? I mean, th these verses took on new meaning. I mean, I think I learned them back in high school. They took on new meaning for, for my, my wife, Christy, and, and for me after our daughter, Claire, died. I, I remember reading this the next time and just thinking, we have treasure waiting for us in heaven. And that was true, of course, before, but it became more real for us. That's what we're doing together on Sunday mornings. To asking things that we know to become more real to us. I mean, Valerie and Jack and Claire and Tripp and John and Barry and so many others are there's treasure waiting for us in heaven. Amen? You know, a thought I had this week, I mean, if, if, 
And I was thinking especially of Tripp and John. If they've passed out of time, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if they've passed from finiteness into infiniteness, um, were their voices part of that great host, uh, that great chorus of the heavenly host singing, announcing Jesus' birth? I don't know. It's a cool thought, though, isn't it? I know around our table, like, like you, like this family does, at the end of everything, you sing the doxology. At our, in our family, when Becca and Molly were little, we, we would sing the doxology often for, for the blessing. And after Claire died, you know, we, we got giggling one night, you know, like the, the audacity that we have. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. It's like this, this cheerful rolling of the eyes. In, in this heavenly house, what, what do you think we unceasingly do? Dad, what do you think we do without reservation, without hesitation, without sin? We worship. And so it's really they come, this rolling of the eyes and saying, how about you guys give it a go? And worship constantly pray without ceasing so what jesus is saying is that if we're living for treasure here we're just going to be anxious and grumpy and and in in increasing measure because we're always moving every day that passes we're moving away from our treasure right but if our treasure is at home in heaven then every day we're going to get a little happy we're going to get a little joy and be full of new gratitude because we're one step closer to home. He comments on our, on our eyes, our vision, um, what the eyes of our heart are fixed on. He says no one can serve two masters. They'll hate one, love the other. What, what are your eyes fixed on? Are your eyes fixed on all that God is not doing for you? Well, then you'll get good at what you practice, I'm afraid. And the light within you will get darker and darker. Every one of us fixes our affections and our attention on something. Every one of us serves something or someone. Every one of us in, in, in Tolkien, Hobbit, and Lord of the Rings language has a precious. But, but it will drive us and, and wither us You have to die to purchase it. Well, friends, what we remember when we come together and we try to get our sanity back, we ask the Lord to make us sane again, is that Jesus Christ is the treasure that died to have us. So he wants you to know that you're more than a body, that life is more than stuff. He wants you to know that you're valuable, he, he, he wants us to, to get some gospel science going as well as gospel English class. He, Jesus says, look at the birds. Will you let them be your teacher? I want you to be kingdom ornithologists. Look, look, at, look at the flowers. Look at the 
look at the lilies. I, I want you, let them be your teacher. I, I want you to be kingdom botanists. But mostly Jesus says again and again and again, look at me, listen to me, watch me live for the joy set before me, watch my heart follow my treasure, watch me take darkness into myself and overcome it with light. Watch me thirsty and hungry and stripped so that you can have food and drink and clothing. Watch me seek first the kingdom. Watch me trust my Father. Watch me Watch my Father vindicate me in every way. The result of His suffering, He will see and be satisfied. This Church of England Christmas Day reading in John 1, it ends by saying, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and in closest relationship with the Father at the Father's side, in the Father's bosom, has made Him known. That's what we remember at Advent, that the Lord has drawn near to reveal to us, to make known to us, to exegete the Father's heart towards you. And because Jesus has made Him known, we can make our hearts known to Him. That's prayer, right? One of my favorite repentance verses in all the Bible is is in Hosea 14.2. It says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Take words with you. This is a little helpful for husbands especially. Take words with you and go apologize. This is good for kids. Don't just grunt at your parents. Take words with you and return. Offload your anxieties. Make known your request to Him. Take words with you. Make it known. Offload your anxieties upon Him for He cares for you. The Lord is near, friends. Therefore, in nothing, be anxious, but in everything, let your request be made known to God. And the promise is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will rampart, will, there'll be guard, guarding your heart. The peace of God will be guarding, ramparting your heart in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So this meal... The indicative is Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. The the imperative is, therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Let's respond to this thing that has happened. We remember in this meal the Lord Jesus. We remember the double transfer that, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus comes near to take from our hands our our anxiousness and prayerlessness and unrighteousness and to put into our hands, give us instead His peace and His access to the Father and His perfect righteousness. So as you come to the table today, 
uh, whether you know you're served or you come up here. Um, well, can I ask you to, to ask Jesus for two things? When, when you come, will you ask Jesus, um, maybe in some profound new way, or just maybe in this normal um, standard operating procedure of the Christian life, will, will you ask him to take the anxiety out of your hands? And, and would you ask him to instead teach you how to make known what's on the inside of you. Teach you to pray. Take away my prayerlessness and anxiousness and peacelessness and will you give me instead all of the beautiful righteousness, Lord, that, that you offer. Now, the only one one more like caveat. If you haven't done that ultimately for the first time, th this meal is, is a reminder of that, a, a symbol of that vow that, that you've already entered into. If you if you haven't asked Jesus to take away your unrighteousness and to give you his righteousness, in that ultimate life-giving, born-again-from-on-high way. Don't take the symbol. Take the reality. Take Jesus this morning. And then take part in the meal after you talk to the elders and, and, and come to the table. But friends, it was in the very context of Jesus being betrayed. He's, the, the, he's celebrating Passover with the unleavened bread, with the cup. He, 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 took, he takes bread and he gives thanks for it. Why don't we do that? Father, thank you for this bread. We do pray that you would set it apart now for this unique uh, meal that Jesus himself instituted. As we offload our anxieties, Upon you, Jesus, will you feed us with yourself, feed us with your peace. Amen. So on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he's with his best friends, they're around the table, he gives thanks for the bread, he breaks it, and he says, this bread is for you. Whenever you eat this bread, whenever you take part in this meal, remember me. I don't think he said, remember the indicatives of the gospel before you get to the imperatives, but he, he kind of implied that. And then after supper, this Passover meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. Whenever you drink this cup, remember me.